Welcome to another episode of Design Recharge. This is episode 354. In eight years, I've never met anybody like Henry, and I'm so pumped to get him on here. He was at camp. If you were at camp, it's not a repeat. We're going to talk to, we're going to dig a little deeper. But if you don't know, Henry has a podcast and you guys should listen to it. He has a YouTube and I'm going to share. He is like delivering gold all the time. He's amazing at content creation. And hey mom, if you were sleepy, you will not be sleepy after this because Henry brings the energy. His animal that he was like is a pit bull. Henry, thank you so much for being here. I just so appreciate you. Anything for you, Dee. Okay. All right. We're going to jump in because I know you got a lot to tell us. I want you to give everybody a little bit of your background about how you came into design, when you started your business, and then I'll ask some more questions about that. It was, it, it's been a blessing. It, it's honestly a blessing in disguise. I, I don't have any formal education in design. Literally learned it off the streets. I was working at a hospital right out of college that it took forever to get a job. As I, I graduated college right when 9-11 hit. So like nobody was hiring and everything was communications. As I like to talk. I was like, I'm going to get a degree in something that I'm good at. So even back then I was focusing on my strengths. So I, I, I got a job at a local hospital with the help of my uncle who was very influential at the establishment and worked my way up. Like he didn't give me any, he got me in the door, but he really didn't get me anything other than that. And so I worked my way up. I was checking insurances in the same day surgery center. I was cleaning coffee pots. I said, you know what? This sucks. I got to figure something else out. So I, the hospital was giving out those higher education programs where they would pay for my master's. So got my master's degree. I was always one of those guys to like never lay down and get comfortable. So I was like, get my master's degree. Now I'm going to apply and, and drive everybody nuts at the hospital because now that I have a master's degree at age 23, I'm going to apply for every director position that pops open. And the problem with that was, yeah, you have an education, but you have no experience. So sorry, Henry, we can't hire you. So I just dug and dug. And finally, I find this position in the children's hospital that was rewarding. It was a sudden infant death syndrome center, which is a very horrible thing. If you don't know what SIDS is, it's when a baby dies under the age of one, just suddenly and unexpectedly with no cause. And what the position was, you were responsible to create fundraising events for the, the, the program, and then take that money and create support events for the families in New Jersey that lost a baby to SIDS. So it was a tear-jerking position, but I was like, I could really use my creativity here and really put it to work. I went full speed into that. I started to get good at event design and event planning. So I was getting these big sponsorships. One was Z100 from the radio station here in New York, and they sponsored one of my events. And so I needed promotional materials. I needed marketing materials to make this thing like huge. And I didn't know what graphic design was. My buddy was a graphic designer. He's like, come over. I'll do the flyers for you. Get your posters designed and all that stuff. So I'm sitting down with him on a Sunday morning and I'm, holy crap, this is design? This is like playing God. You could create anything in Photoshop. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, I need to learn this stuff. This is amazing. This is awesome. So we do the event. It was awesome. And I go back to 
my boss and I was like, you know what? Maybe you should buy Photoshop for me so we, I can do all of the invites and we don't have to pay for it anymore. And they were like, I'm in. So I sold them on that and I started to do all the invites and all the promotional stuff. I was horrible, of course, because I didn't know what I was doing, but I started to practice. I would go home and, and go to four in the morning. I lived in this little tiny apartment. I barely had any furniture at a bar stool with a laptop that wasn't even mine. It was the hospitals. And I would literally design in Photoshop with my finger and just practice days and weeks and months at a time. And finally, I started to get a little bit better. And I started just putting myself out there. Like I would send out 300 emails a day. Like in the, so I was a big nightclub guy back in the day, if you can't tell. So I would go out to the nightclubs a lot and flyer designs for the nightclubs were huge back then. And my buddy who designed me my flyer, he was a club promoter. So he introduced me to other promoters and he was like, maybe you should use Henry because I'm getting too busy. So he started to introduce me to a couple of promoters and then I started getting a little bit of business. Now I was getting paid like 50 bucks a design back then. And you're still working full time. This is just on the side, right? Doing the design work. And then what happened was 2008 hit economic disaster. Hospital starts tightening up. They start shrinking my position and hours. They won't fire me, but they're like squeezing me to see how far they can take me. And finally, they said, Henry, January 1, 2009, if you stay here, you're going to be somebody's secretary. Other than that, it's up to you if you want to leave. And I was just stuck. And I was like, I don't know what to do. They gave me a month to decide what I wanted to do, which was nice. But I went to my uncle. I went to my father. I went to my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and was like, what do I do? And the one thing, I we talked about this a hundred times. I went to my uncle because he got me that position at the hospital. I said, you know what? It, it's probably makes sense to just consult with him. And I told him what was going on. And he said, and I, he has a big construction company, big highway construction company. All my cousins work for him. So it's, it'd be like, be a part of the family business. And so I said, Uncle Joe, maybe I come work for you. And I'd be like a project manager or something. And and he's, Henry, what do you know about construction? He's, I just want to be honest with you. Like we're heavy highway construction. Like your cousins, they all went to school for that stuff. What would you do here? He's, I don't want to put you behind a shovel because you're a sharp kid, but I don't know what to do with you. But he said, however, let me talk it over with my daughter. Let me talk it over with my VP. Let me see if, let me just at least see if there's something. Now, did he know you were doing these other, like this side business and doing this? Okay. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Because I told him, I said, I got this little side hustle. It's doing well, but I don't know if it's going to sustain like a lifestyle or a family. I don't know if this is going to go kaput next month. Like, I just don't know. So he never got back to me. And like, just picture a huge like hourglass sitting on your desk, slowly ticking away as we got closer to the end of the year and never got back to me. And finally, I said, I think I know what the answer is. So... That was the push that I needed to just spread my wings and fly. And I did. And the first year I gra- I did graphic design just as a freelance designer, I, I made $248,000, over a quarter of a million dollars by myself. And so that get- when I went to my accountant and I had to do my taxes, they, they were like, Henry, do you know what you did this year? And I said, no, I just been so busy. I, I don't even have time to spend my money, but uh, it was crazy. And then that really gave me the confidence to just go. So 24 months after that, I made a million bucks. And then it was just 
every 36 months, I would make another million. And I just kept going and I'm going on my 14th year. Okay. So then we got to break this down because this is a super exciting to, to not know. And you're just working, you're worried maybe, and that's why you're working so much, or I know you and you don't quit. You just start to work and you're busy. But how does somebody going from working at a hospital full-time doing side gig, it's a mental shift. You have to say, hey, I'm putting it all in. I'm calling people. I'm doing things that are uncomfortable, but I got to do it because I'm not going to fail at this. Here's the thing, right? It's like one of the things that I said when I remember walking into my home office the first day I didn't have to report to the hospital. I still remember that day like it was yesterday. I was wearing sweatpants, but I said to myself, Henry, you will treat the day as if you were going into a regular office. Wow. So at 12 noon, every single day, I broke for lunch. At 10.50, so I modeled what I was doing at the hospital at home. 10.15 a.m., I clockwork. I would stop working, go get a snack, walk to the water cooler, if you will, which was my kitchen, go to lunch. At three o'clock, I would break again, go out for a quick walk or something. So I had that structure from corporate that I brought into freelance. That helped a lot keep me together because it's really easy to turn on Netflix. Well, it wasn't Netflix at the time, but it's really easy to start playing video games and not do what needs to be done to run a business. But how did you know what needed to be done to run a business? Was that stuff you'd got from communications? Was it stuff that you, do you know what I mean? Good question. It was, it came, I didn't know what the hell I was doing, Diane. The reason why I worked so hard and we talked about this privately. The reason why I worked so hard is because I spent every nickel that I would earn. So I didn't have, I couldn't afford not to work. Okay. So every penny that came in went right out because I come from humble beginnings. I don't, I never had a lot. I never was homeless or anything like that. People had worse stories off than me. But when I came into some of my own money, like I was like living high on the hog and I had this chip on my shoulder. Joe not getting back to me for all my cousins poo-pooing on me because I was a designer and not working for the business. Or they would see things that I would do and they would, it would create this resentment, right? Between us. And I was just so hungry to prove to everybody that I'm going to make it somehow, some way I'm going to make it. And that's where a lot of that work ethic came from. I was always working. Uh, My father had me working when I was 13. So I wasn't afraid to get out there and push a wheelbarrow or mow a lawn or push carts at the supermarket. Dad had two jobs. He was doing other things. He was helping people. He was definitely a problem solver. You saw this. It was modeled to you. You lived with your dad. He was, he's your hero, right? And he always had a job, but he always was entrepreneurial. Always, always, always. So he would, he was a shop steward at UPS. So he was a mechanic there. That was his full-time gig. That's what gave him the benefits to support us. But then he would do oil changes and like tune-ups for his friends. And on the weekends, we would go up to Pennsylvania. He had this little cabin that he was building on his own because he's a very handy guy. He still is. And we would go up there on the weekends and we would freaking mow lawns. We would mow lawns in the morning and then he would continue building his house in the afternoon. And so we were always working. So he always had a knot in his pocket and he always had money. But the thing with my father is he's a depression's baby. So he grew up in the depression. He, He was born in 42. So, you know, his 
parents. It was my mom. There you go. Sorry, I didn't even call you out there, mom, but. So they, so it was, he still has the first nickel that he earned. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that, so I was the kid that did the opposite of what his parents did, except for my mom. I think my mom was, God bless her soul. She gave me my personality, but there was a lot of things that she did that I did not like the way she treated people. She didn't treat people really well. So she ran through friends. Like I run through underwear and and I was like, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to be that type of person. And then there was my dad who didn't have a lot of friends, but he was very methodical in the way he thought. And he was very strategic in the way he thought. And he was really good at negotiating. Like he was a teamster in the union. So he was, yeah, these crazy negotiation skills that I would pick up on and I would leverage in business. And whenever I had like a business question, I would go to him and he would help me maneuver and negotiate the deal a little bit. Not that we're talking big money. It was a couple hundred bucks back then. But you told me a story about there was this woman who I think she was a single mom or she was single and he would do her oil change and he would contact her. And he was also, you didn't realize it, but he was teaching you about relationships she didn't have to go to your dad, but he made it convenient and he was there. He, she could trust him that it, right. You want to tell him that story? Yeah. He, he would, he was like, he's a big guy, right? So like when he's in your, he was much bigger back then. He lost about 150 pounds. So he's small now, but he's tall. But when he was tall and big, people used to call him the Iceman because he like Robert Kuklinski. Just Google the Iceman. I'm not going to get into that story, but he's from New Jersey. We're, We're not too proud of it. But they used to call him the Ice. He looked like the Iceman because like he would come in and he just had this giant presence about him. And when you were around him, you felt comfortable. You felt safe. Mm -hmm. You felt protected. And he used that to his advantage quite a bit. Nobody was going to mess with Big Hank because he was just not somebody you mess with. And I think he taught me a lot about that. And again, we talk about this privately. As I evolved my business into what it is today, I had this conversation recently with on an inter- on a podcast interview, like how does Henry want to be remembered when he's long gone or after you've worked with him? And, and here's what I work for every day. When somebody spends their money on me and my team, I want them to feel confident in their investment. I want them to feel like if we had to go to war and I was in their foxhole with them, that like they're coming out alive. I might not, but they're coming out alive. And that was like past, as I think about it, that was down from like how my father raised me and how he treated other people. And honestly, this is just really starting to come to me today, like right now, present time, because I was like, where did that come from? And so now I, 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 that's how I want to be remembered. I want to be somebody that you can count on. I want to, when you sign, when you are in Henry's presence, you're okay and you'll, and you Mm. will be okay. And that's, and we talk about branding, right? That's the brand that I'm building and have been building for myself for, you know, quite some time now. And I'm really seeing it start to pay dividends now in my 14th going on 14th year, because I'm really, my actions match my words. It wasn't always like that. And I'll just be honest with you. It wasn't. Okay, and But here's the thing. You're able to admit it and we're able to move on. The people, when you aren't taking any blame, you will never grow, I don't think. And it's a hindrance. Mario is here. He says, hey, and he wants to know what's been the toughest lesson you've learned in your career and how has it changed you? Oh, man. It, it's how to treat people. And that was the biggest lesson. And I'll tell the story again. I, I started to change my pricing probably three or four years ago. 
And I started to raise all my prices and charge a premium, but my processes and systems weren't in the way they are today because I was going through some growing pains. So I was charging people a premium, but I wasn't delivering premium work, okay? And I remember being so frustrated because it's not like I wanted to do crappy work. I just didn't have a system in place to deliver great work. So I would get frustrated because clients would come to me disgruntled and I would push the blame on them. You're just a pain in the neck client. This isn't me. Like, it's not my fault. And I started to build up this resentment. And like every project I would take on would go to hell in a handbasket. And I'll never forget it. I'm having dinner with one of my best friends, my best friend who taught me graphic design. And I was telling him what was going on. And he looked at me dead in the face. And he says, Henry, they call me Junior. I don't think you even know that, but my nickname's Junior. He's like, June, what makes you think you can treat people like that? Wow. And that that's a was, real friend though. You, yes, absolutely. He said, what makes you think you can treat people like that? And I go, I don't know, but that's something I need to explore. And so that's when I got into personal development and I started working on myself. So to answer Mario's question, the biggest thing that was how I treated people and in my head, I thought I was treating everybody, but it wasn't. Like what I thought of myself was very different than how other people thought of me. And, it, and my wife, my, we were just talking about this the other day at dinner. My wife said, because I have this big project going on right now in my backyard. And it's about the same amount of investment as somebody would spend on my business, like you know, hiring me. So this has been such a great learning response responsibly experience because I've spent a lot of money on personal development and mentorship and things like that. But I don't think I've spent this kind of money like in a lump sum. It's always been like over a course of a year, right? But this was like out of pocket, high five figures, whoa. And I started to see like how I was reacting. And I was like, Henry, do you want clients like this? Like you're out on your deck looking over watching every paver go down. Do you want people doing that to you when you're doing your work with your team? Now, here's how I said it to myself though. I said, Henry, I know why you're doing this. You're not micromanaging. You're not going to tell them where to put that paver because they know where to put it. But Henry, I know why you're out here on the deck. You love build stuff. Even if you're the one building it, I know why you're out here. You're out here because you like to see progress. That's why you're out here. I was in the bed. So we have a, a third, we have two floors. So I'll go in my bedroom because we're super high and I'll look out my window and I got like a bird's eye view of the whole project. And I just find myself standing there for half an hour watching them work. And I'm like, so appreciative of their work. But I'm, like I told my dad the other day, I'm like, they're moving like 600 pound blocks. I, I would never be able to do that in a million years. God bless them to know how to do this stuff. But that was some of the things. But one of the things that my wife said to me was like, now you know what it's to pay a lot of money for something and have the, because there was, it's been like one of those things like this week has been, this week has been like grind week for them because we have a big party going down on Saturday. So is it going to be done on time? And so that's the big thing. And so we're all on We deal with that too. Exactly. We finished stuff. We got to finish it. We got to stay up late. We got to do whatever. So like now it's like crunch time and it's like, how are you going, what's going to happen if it's not done? Now, mind you, I see a huge turn being made right as of today. It looks like everything's going to be buttoned up on Friday and everybody's going to be happy. Yeah, but I started freaking out. So if you go to my social media, like from today, let's go back, say a week, you're going to see a lot of content about me talking about be the client 
you wish mm. to attract. It taught me a lot. And so luckily I have a really great relationship with my brother-in-law who was doing this work. And we sat down one day and I said, I got to tell you, I want to give you some feedback. I know you're just starting this business again. And as a client and customer, I want to give you some feedback that you probably couldn't even pay for. And I gave him some feedback. And right away, the next day he came to work and the way he talked to me, the way he updated me, the way he did things was very different from prior. And I was like, wow, he's getting it. And I just didn't want to come across as the guy that knows it all. And just because you have a business, I didn't want to be that guy. So I explained it to him in a way. I was like, dude, I want to see your business do awesome. I want to see you get big projects like this over and over again. So it taught me a lesson. Be the client that you wish to attract. If you're going to pay, if you're going to charge a premium for your service, then you better be ready to pay a premium for a service. Because one of the lessons that I learned as I was being coached in business was how do you expect for somebody to pay 50 grand for a project if you yourself wouldn't pay 50 grand for any project, never mind a project like the one you're selling. So I had stopped somebody in their tracks on social media not too long ago. I was doing a live stream and I said, what are you charging for your service? They were like 10 grand. I said, would you buy your service for 10 grand? And they point blank, carte watch was like, no, I wouldn't. And I go, what? So there, there's my point. I said, I think that's where we're running into some problems here because the way you're marketing, the way you're positioning, the way you present yourself online, subconsciously, you don't even know you're doing it. If you wouldn't buy your service, for 10 grand, why would anybody? It's a great way to check yourself. Here's a great question by Paul up here. How do you learn how to see yourself from others' point of view as it is the key to differentiation? Wow, what a great question. And I've worked with Chris Doe now one-on-one for many, we're going on three years. And the one thing that he keeps saying to me when we have our sessions is the level of self-awareness you have is beyond anybody that I've ever coached. So to Paul's, to answer Paul's question, self-awareness and being able to strip away your ego and face humility, like really be humbled by who it is you really are. I got to share with you before we run out of time, I, I, I want to share with you guys something that, so I'm a big documentary guy. If I turn on Netflix and sit down and watch Netflix, like I'm watching a successful person's bio or, right? This is what I watch on Netflix. I'm not watching like Game of Thrones. I'm watching a documentary last night with Jim Carrey. Some people love Jim Carrey. Some people hate this guy because he's a lot. He's a lot. But man, I literally had to push, stop and play like 15 times to capture what he said. He said, in some point in your life, when you create yourself to make it and be and to become successful, you're going to have to either let that creation go and take a chance on being loved or hated for who you are, or you're really going to have to kill who you really are and fall into your grave, grasping onto a character that you never were. Wow. I was almost in tears when I heard that because I was like, whoa, was that deep? And two, how many people struggle with this? Yeah, it's hard to put yourself out there and really be you because people will. Some people will not like you. And I have students, I had a kid last year, the year before said she left my class crying every day. And I'm like, damn, that's rough. But it hurt. And I was like, at first I was defensive, but really I don't want anybody to feel like that. But I know that I won't, everybody's not going to be on, I'm not going to be for everybody. And I think when you start wearing your shoes, man, 
it makes you feel better about, you just feel better because the people who do like you will surround you. And now they really like you. It's it. You're going to like yourself more. And, and to, yeah. answer Chris's, to answer Chris's question, was it Jim and Andy? Yes, it's Jim and Andy. That's, that was the documentary. It was him playing the role of Andy Kaufman mm. when, they, when he made that movie. And holy mackerel, did he get into character? And I think he took the character, in my opinion, I, I can't even say this. He took the character so far where like, you wanted to kill him at the, at the end of the day. Like he was so over the top. Like the, the, the producer of the movie was like, I just want to talk to Jim. Like is Jim around? And he was not, he completely got, and he talks about it in the documentary where when he was done filming that movie, he went into the, one of the deepest depressions because he, for, he lost who he was. As Jim Carrey, he didn't know who Jim Carrey was because he was so engulfed in Andy being Andy. And he said it was like a vacation from Jim. And he was like, I went so far. I forgot who Jim was. Mm -hmm. And man, that paragraph that I just read to you just touched me in so many ways because I remember sacrificing a lot in the beginning and it sucked so bad. Like my wife has been with me since my first business card. She's been with me long before the money. And I remember literally seeing her four hours a day and it was in, and she was sleeping. And that was three years of our lives together. Like it wasn't three weeks. And I think people forget that part. And so that's what re really resonated with me a lot because to this day, am creating this successful Henry. And creating successful Henry comes with a lot of sacrifice. I do things and say things that piss a lot of people off. And unfortunately, I'm done being apologetic about it. I'm turning 40 this year and I keep promising myself I'm not living my next 40 the way I lived my first 40. And people are going to talk. People are going to say things. When, and, and regardless of what you do, so you might as well do it anyway. Because here's I, another Perry said, which just grabbed me. You can fail at what you don't love. So you might as well fail at what you do love. Because he said he had his father and he got very mm -hmm. emotional when he was talking about his father. His father was a great saxophone player. He was a funny guy too. Like, I think that's mm -hmm. where he got a lot of his humor from. And his grand, so Jim's grandfather would always like poo-poo his dad. So finally his dad crumbled and said, you know what? I'm just going to go play it safe and become an accountant. And he became an accountant and he hated it. And he chose it because it was safe instead of taking that risk. And here's what happens when he was 51 years old. He gets laid off. So now he fails at what he doesn't even love to do. That's a lot harder. Let's put this into perspective. That's a lot harder than failing at something that you love to do. And you could see Jim welling up when he's telling this story. And I'm welling up listening to it because I could have been his dad. Yeah. I could have been his dad. And I took that leap of faith and man, just the sacrifice and getting punched in your face a thousand times by disgruntled clients, saying one thing and doing another and, and having to refund $40,000 in one day, doing all these things that would decimate the average person. I keep getting back up, mm. keep getting back up. Yeah, it's not how many times you fall, it's how many times you get back up. Yeah, so I get, you could see me, but now I got a three-year-old son. Like, what do I want him to see? That's what keeps me going. We talk about this a lot. Like, he's going to be Googling my name soon. He's going to be watching videos and listening to podcasts. Like, everything I put out, 
Like, it's funny. A lot of the things that I've been putting out personally, I've been thinking in my head, like, when Dante watches this video, it's going to be a life lesson for him. So I'm literally building an Encyclopedia Britannica online for him so that when he does come online and he does start to watch my stuff, like, the blueprint's going to be laid out for him, like, long after I'm gone. That's the beauty of what I do now. And so who's reaping the benefits? It's not just him. It's everybody that's watching this broadcast right now. It's everybody that follows me on social media. It's like when I go, people are going to remember me somehow. And that's how I want them to remember me. The biggest thing I want to get, I want everybody to get today out of this conversation is you can't just talk about it. You have to do it, right? That's where I struggled the most in business and in my personal life was when I talked a big game, but I didn't play that game. And what happens when you do that like on an athletic field? You lose. When did everything start to change and when did I start to win was when I pictured myself winning in my head and said, oh, in order to win, we're going to have to do this and this. And then without batting an eye or skipping a beat, I went out into the field and I did it. That's how I win. That's how you win. You don't think of it in your head and go out there and just think it. No, you go out there and you do it. One of the things that I love about Jim Carrey's topic of conversation is he wrote that $10 million check to himself. When he was a little kid, he wanted a bike. And he Mm. said, I want this bike and I want it to look like this. And I want it, right? And within a couple of months, that bike showed up for him. So everything that I've been doing over the past 36 months, because it's really the past 36 months that everything has really just changed for me, I saw it all. I saw it all happening. Like I saw it in dreams. I saw it in my thought. Like I saw it all. Now it's just playing out in reality. This house that I live in, the cars that I drive, the vacations that I go on, the people that I meet, it's all coming to reality because I'm thinking it, but my also, I'm also saying, okay, I'm thinking it. That's one part of the puzzle. Now you actually got to move those puzzle pieces and connect them. And that's what I'm doing now. And that's why I'm seeing the results that I'm seeing. And I, I think just a lot of people don't, don't do the extra, don't do the, the half that counts. They just, they'll plan for five months. They'll take every course. They'll go, they'll show up on every freaking work team meeting and Facebook group and this and that. But when you ask them to do it, got every excuse in the book not to. And I'm just, I got, I don't know what to say to them. I don't know what to say with it. I don't, I just don't. And so I just want to, I just want to inspire people to, if, if you want to live a life, if you want to design a life that you're proud of, if you want to design a business you're proud of, you have to plan it out, which a lot of you guys are good at, but then you have to do it. I don't get to meet Diane Gibbs right through Chris Doe and and be on the show by not putting myself out there and that energy out there to make that happen. You got to, this, what I've experienced in 14 years of owning this business didn't happen by chance. It didn't happen by coincidence. I willed it into existence because I was able to put myself in positions, attracted that. And, And I go on tangents, but- so here's one thing. You did self-investigation and you really started digging on what you needed to do to get to the next level, to feel differently about the things that you were doing. And one of them was that 
And I think when you talked about this at camp or when we've talked before, it's that a lot of times we are waiting to have a conversation with somebody that we deem as important or a client that we want to have to validate that we are good. And that's the whole reason we called it be the qualified. Are you waiting to be qualified or are you now the qualifier? And there's two ways to think about this. You can now start qualifying your clients or you are qualifying yourself that I am worth the $10,000 that somebody would pay that I would also pay. So I don't think coming out of the gate, you could be $10,000 logo person. Me neither. But it's not saying that you can't, but you do need to know your worth. If you never talk to anybody, any other designers, if all you hang out with is people who don't build the same things as you and you don't have any real friendships, then nobody's going to tell you what they would pay and what they would try to charge. And sometimes you have to go out on a limb and and say, you know what? I think I'm worth this. I'm going to put it out there. It is scary because it feels, for me, it feels, Mario and I had this conversation about camp. Okay. And I hope Mario's okay with me sharing this. But anyway, he's Diane. We were talking about pricing and I was like, I wanted to have it have a price. And he's, a lot of people are doing free things right now. And I was like, I was really clear on the, I wasn't on the fence about it, but I had, I was like, no, I want to charge something. And it wasn't that I wanted to make a ton of money because I did profit sharing. I'm really, it's about loving more people for me. I have to make money too, but it wasn't about that for me. And so I said, but I have bought many things that I have not attended. But if it is a price that I, because I felt like we were making something that could change people and help people, I wanted to, to make it at a price where it would be a little bit painful. Steve. Yes, Steve. they did not, if they did not come, that would not be a normal thing that they are just throwing $349 out the window or that they're not just throwing $200 out the window Yeah, and or even $100. But the majority of the people came at the $200 price. And because they were there, I they came, they showed up. Now maybe they're still doing the lessons, and that's totally fine because it was a lot of lessons. I realized it was a lot of work, a lot of things to get through. And Henry's the second to last day, if anybody's looking. But to me, it was when he said that, I was like, no, I need it to cost something because there's plenty of people I've bought things and I've never done it because it was $40 or it was $100 even. And at some point, I know the value of this and I wanted people to do it. It's like the work you've done with Chris. It is, yeah. It's not free. It's hard work because it's you work. Yeah. Listen, people that pay attention, bottom line, bottom line. Tell them about how you raised your prices for coaching or your individual coaching from $100 to $250. Uh, Tell them about that because that was also you being valid. You were <clears throat> validating yourself and you were being the qualifier instead of waiting to be qualified. Yeah. Last year and a year before, I charged $100 for an initial consult. Like I'm not doing free consult consults anymore. It was a hundred bucks. So get on the phone with me for 30 minutes. It was a hundred dollars. And who knows if we're even going to work together, but that's what it was. And I would get these trickling in at like maybe two or three a month. So I'm on the phone with, actually on the phone with my mindset coach, not even Chris. And I was just telling her some of these things. And she goes, there's another person in that I'm coaching that not in the same field as you, but is a coach of some sort. And she charges $200 for her initial consultation conversation. So she says, I want to challenge you to raise double your price on your in, in, intro console. And I'm, like, I'm only getting three now a month. You want me to charge more? And so I did. It made you feel how? Uncomfortable, but. Oh my God, completely uncomfortable. Like now it's going to go down to zero, right? The, you think comes true, right? 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 Now, 
I go, F this, I'm going in, we're gonna double the price. So January 1, I figured end, like first of the year, end of the year, good time to make that adjustment, right? Yeah. So January 1 this year, I double the price of the consult. Diane, I get double the amount of consults per month. So it jumped from, it jumped from three a month to six a month on average, and there's a 60% close ratio there. So do the math, right? Six come in, 60% of that is closing into thirty-six dollars to $50,000 projects. Had she not challenged me, this is what I wanted, I wanted to get out before we ran out of time is, had I not had the coaching and mentorship of the people that I've selected to be my coaches, I would have not had that outside perspective. I would have not had that challenge and I would have never done it. How do you go from scratching to make ends meet per month to having $93,000 months, not years, months on during COVID. You have to be, you have to push it. You have to. So why hire a coach? Why dive into Diane's stuff? Why invest in Chris's stuff? Why invest in my stuff? Listen, the best of the best become the best of the best because they're willing to be coached. Michael Jordan had coaches, one of the biggest egos on the planet. And I highly, I don't care if you're male or female, I don't care if you're a business owner or not, go watch on Netflix, The Last Dance. It's, I could sit and I could watch it straight through. That's how good it was. But it was all about Michael Jordan. And let me tell you something, Michael Jordan isn't the guy that you saw in McDonald's commercials and in Nike commercials. He is ruthless, right? I'm not saying be as ruthless as him. I I was telling a lot of my colleagues after watching that documentary, I don't know if I could be as badass as, sorry, mom. That's okay, word. As Michael Michael Jordan, this guy, he didn't have much feelings. And, And they would interview teammates and teammates would be like, we questioned that guy emotion emotions like even if he even had any and i don't want to be that guy because i I don't think i could ever be that guy if i tried to be that guy but i've been raising the bar since watching that documentary with my team and i've been pushing them just like michael's coaches push him just like michael pushes his teammates kobe bryant was another one that did this really well push the crap out of his teammates they go on to win four five six championships so I always tell my team, I had a team meeting on Monday. I said, guys, I'm going to push you because we're raising the bar this year. I said, I don't want to come across as mean, but I'm going to be on you, okay? Not to micromanage you. I'm going to be on you because I know you have it in you to get to this next level. Man, isn't that the truth? That's what a real, that's what a coach does on a team. And, like, and that coach may have never played a game of basketball in his life. So keep that in mind. Be like my ruthless. Yeah, I think I, I oh, not oh, I'm grateful for all the coaches that I had hmm. in my life, both personally, professionally, because I would not have been able to do this by myself. Hands down. No way. You do not get this by yourself. And that's something that I can now share and tell stories about because I was in the freelance shoe where I was a one-man band doing the marketing, doing the sales, doing the design work. When print was big, delivering print projects, I would spend a half a day just delivering print. And then finally, I, I find a print shop that drop ships. So now, boom, get them to drop ship. I've been there. It's scary to build a team. It's scary to let go of the control. It's scary to put a lot of money down on something and bet on yourself. But man, the feeling you get, like, it's like getting on a roller coaster, right? You're petrified of jumping on that roller coaster. But when you get on it, 
and you go and it's done and you walk off. It's completely, you feel completely different. And it's the same thing with life. I'll leave you with this. We're all going to be 90. God bless us if we make it that long. One day, when you're that age, looking back on your life, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? Man, that was one hell of a ride. Or man, I wish I would have jumped. I wish I would have got on the ride. One life, one mm. shot. What are you going to You know what? It's for sure you're going to fall. You're going to get hurt. It's, it's for sure. You are in line at the roller coaster. Forget people and keep getting people in front of you. You got to ride. You just got to do it. What I think is so cool about what are you going to say at the end of your life? And what are people going to say about you? But how? what impact would you have made... If you had worked for your uncle, right, you maybe would have impacted the people around you, but the impact that you are able to have now because you're taking a step out and it's uncomfortable. And I think about every time you fall, you're going to get a scar. Like we could probably show scars. I, I got plenty of them. And But stories with those scars and from those things now we don't ride bikes that way or we but the scars are like battle scars in a way and I don't know anybody who's not oh yeah I got nobody's oh don't look at my scar or I don't know anybody like that I don't know I guess we think of it and it's it's something we're proud of so why are we so afraid to take risk and I'm talking to myself here not like I don't ever take risk I have a hard time too but why can't we be proud of those scars when we when you fall had you not been spending and keeping up and trying to keep up, you would have never gotten to the place where you can now. You haven't invested. You are now not just investing in money, but you invest in people. There are people that you see golden on your team and that they can do more. Just like Mario would be if he was coaching somebody to do 40 more sit-ups, he'd be, he wouldn't be okay with just one. You got to keep pushing to build that muscle and you see it. You see their potential, but they don't see it. That's why it's so important to have coaches in your life that can see the outside of the label. Let me share this with you. If you like a lot of people that are watching this, I don't know what your desires are. I don't know what you want to be. I don't know where you want to take your business or what you want to do with life. But if you, one of the things that I do now as I get older is I don't talk as much, believe it or not, I don't. Like when I'm out and like when I talk a lot because I'm being featured here, but yeah, but when I'm not, yeah, but for the most part, like people are like, are you okay? Because they're used to the old Henry that just never shuts up. I've been much more reserved at an older age and I look for patterns. I look for patterns. This is what I want to share with you guys. If you want to do one thing, if you want to be influential, if you want to, if you want people coming to you, look for the patterns. So I study a lot of successful people. That's why I watch documentaries. And there's a common denominator that I see amongst all of them. And we're talking the David Fosters of the music industry. There's not one song on the radio that guy didn't produce that didn't go crazy. David Foster, Steve Madden, the shoe guy. Yeah. Lady Gaga. Love her. Jordan. Who else did I watch? Kobe. I watch, I study these guys. And here's the one thing that I notice about all of them. They all question and doubt themselves just like anyone else. Steve Madden said it best the other day. He said, man, one day I'm riding on top of the world and the next day I'm saying to myself, what the hell do I know? They've all said, David Foster, he's worked with moguls. He said the same thing. Jordan said the same thing. All of them said the same thing. They all come to a time where they doubt themselves. And the point that I'm trying to make is, do you think I got here after 14 years full of confidence, knew, knowing that I was going to, there were times where, there were multiple times 
where I said, Henry, why don't you just hang this thing up and go mow lawns, go be a landscaper. It's there's zero responsibility there. Just don't screw up the lawn, right? Just go be a landscaper. You enjoyed that when you were a kid. You enjoy it now. And there's been times where I was ready to take this computer, throw it out the window and become a landscaper, not own my own business, work for somebody and be a landscaper. It's a lot different. And I said, no, because you'll landscape for one day and say to yourself, what the hell are you doing here? Get out, get back up, get going, figure out the lesson learned and keep going. And I just had, I just kept going and I keep going. I was talking about it yesterday. I don't know what I'm, my 40s are going to be great. I'm going to be a different person when I'm 50. I'm going to evolve into something. I'm going to adapt into something. I'm going to, right? If I'm the same person I am today, 10 years from now, something's wrong. You better get me help. So adapting, to answer Mario's question a little bit deeper, like adapting to the environment. I grew up in a, I grew up in a neighborhood that had very little white people. My high school had 50 white kids in total in the whole school. So I grew up in a very diverse neighborhood, very urban neighborhood. And here's this little skinny white kid at the time trying to find himself as a person, as a teenager. And growing up in that environment, I learned so much. And the streets taught me so much. Those kids were, I thought I had it bad. They had it 50 times worse than me. They kept going. I never tried to be, I did at one point in my life, I did. But the reason why I was able to survive in that neighborhood And in that school district is because I adapted to my environment. I adapted to it. And I wound up loving it. Why? Because I'm a huge hip hop guy. I love hip hop music. Not the new stuff, a lot of the old stuff. But man, listening to that music growing up, and I still listen to it to this day, there's so many stories and lessons to be learned Mm. in those people's music that drive me, that motivate me, that inspire me. You know, some of you guys may not know these names, but like Nas is one of my favorite rappers of all time. This guy is a little bit older than me and I grew up listening to his music. And every song back then was a story about his life. Have you ever reached out to him? No, but I'm going to put this out in the universe again. He's coming on my podcast. He will be on my podcast. I don't know when, but he will be on my podcast. Mark my words. Inspired by this music and this culture. See, this the hip-hop culture is like, they're out, they're, they're out to prove something. They're out to turn a negative into a positive. Like, the good stuff. There's a lot of bad stuff out there, too. But the, the good stuff, the folks that the, the stuff that I listen to is always inspiring, always like we were here and now we're there. And this is how we did it. And Nas, Nas is at a point now in his career where he's managing artists. He's bringing artists in under his label. I think he has a label now. And this is something that I watched in his documentary. He said, I'll take an artist that is not as good, but is willing to put in the work and not expect notoriety, praise and fame without doing that kind of work. And so he he was talking about one of his new artists that he brought on and he was like, that's why I, I brought on this guy because yeah, he, he was good. He was talented, but he wasn't as talented as this guy, but this guy acted like it was, he was entitled to it. Mm-hmm. And he said that these are the people that I want to work with. And I, I hire my team based on that too. 
because I I trust myself. I'm confident in myself that I could level this, these this my team up. No, they don't need to be the best designer, but they will be. They'll have to have some competence at a, at a certain level, certain standard. But I'll take the the person that's willing to. Let me give you a quick example. My website developer that designs that develops all my sites once they're designed. He had his second kid yesterday born. We had a client that we just launched his brand this week. There was a technical glitch with the URL. The redirect was not going to the right pages. The developer was at the hospital with his wife and his newborn goes home to make the damn changes and then goes back to the hospital to be with his family. That's why that guy's on my team. That's why that guy's on my team. Who's doing that these days? I think there's a, a whole nother conversation about being a team player, being on a team, growing a team, motivating a team. So I tell my students that they're, are you okay? Just working at Staples, FedEx, Kinko's, you know? If you are, then just do the minimum. Do the three hours of learning per week that I'm asking for. If you want to do more, then you will do more. I add, if there's no golden ticket. There's no moving sidewalk. You got to walk it. You got to do it right. But I think I always ask people if they were on a team, if they played team sports. Yeah. And that is, you don't always have to be the star player. Oh. There's a place for everybody. I'm not talking about tennis people. Sorry, I'm not talking about tennis. Right. But the kind of team where it's like soccer or football or baseball, where there's a role and everybody, if somebody's not doing their job, it's going to hurt other people. Yeah. Yeah, here's the thing. At the end of the day, business is a team sport. Let's get that right. Jordan doesn't win championships. Alone, LeBron no doesn't way. win championships by themselves. Okay. Neither does a successful business. I could not be doing this interview today if I didn't have my team. There's a there's something that I learned in my master's program that I'll never forget. Resource allocation. Allocate your resources and there's power in people. There's power in people. So focus on your strengths. Hire great people and get the hell out of the way. Watch from the bathroom window, right? Yeah, like me, but watching my guys put the patio together. That's, that is how you do it. And eventually you build. So I was, again, example, on my team meetings that I have on Mondays, I said, guys, you know, my purpose here is to build an all-star team. We are already an all-star team, but we can't get comfortable. We can't get placent. Otherwise, we're going to get beat. So this is a team sport. I'm the coach. And I want this to be an all-star team. We are all-stars on this team. Otherwise, you wouldn't be on the team. So how do all-stars play? And then I just shut up and I let them talk. And they say some valuable things. They say some great things. You ready? We anticipate clients' needs. One. Two. We deliver ahead of schedule. Three. We're, we're, we, we are open communicators amongst the team. When we feel like we can't get something done, we're going to reach out to somebody to help us pick up the slack. Or if somebody else is stronger in one category, we're going to delegate. We know Henry's a, a crazy person when it comes to quality assurance, just because of I, I have PTSD in that area of my business. And so I'm going to be super anal about quality assurance. So I don't even want to see a funnel, a website without it being checked three times and going through We've set up systems now for QA. I don't want to see it until it's gone through that stress test. They know this already. So they won't even show it to me until it's at that level. Mm. So my team is for certain people. It's not for everybody. I've had team members in the past that they were like lead weights and I had to let, it, let them go. 
Because they drag other people down too, but it's hard. You get better as you continue to do it in trends or you figure out questions to ask in an interview or you can talk to other people who've worked with them or, or know them. You have to spot that stuff fast and cut it fast. Otherwise, you're screwed because that turns into a cancer and what cancer does. So I've been very good with that. And we just had one this day. We were onboarding somebody and onboarding a, a, a junior designer and I get V1 back. And I said, version one back of a website design. And I go, absolutely not. This is not even close. So I talked to my lead designer and I said, what do we do here? And he, he was like, maybe you give him another shot, give him a little bit more direction. And I started talking and he said, my lead designer goes, you know what shocked me? I was surprised that he didn't know what a podcast was. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. How did he even get through the door without knowing what a podcast was? And so I told my lead designer, I said, sorry, gotta go. You're going to take over this project. Wish him a farewell. Tell him I said, thanks for his work. We'll take care of him. We just, I'm not going to let him go out. I'll pay him the time to spend on that. But I said, he's got to go. And that was it. My lead designer picked up on the job. It was like running over a, an acorn versus a speed bump. And mm. we just kept it moving. And so these are some of the things that go on behind the scenes, like internally with team members that like, you just gotta, you can't even think about it. Right. Can't even think about it. No, don't even know what a podcast is. This design, when I try to give as much direction as I can without telling them what to do. And this is what comes back too far. The gap is too, to try to spend time on correcting that. Just dump it, go. And that's where I think that's the most ruthless I will ever be in business is that right there. But it's how you're able to deliver for your clients. You're not going to have a doctor that made D's look at your kid, right? you like, did you make C's? No, I really made D's. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead and treat my child. And hopefully you're treating your clients like you would a family member. You want the best for them. So you're not going to subpar somebody and he just needs to level up if he's maybe willing to be taught. But that's the other thing. It's like, you got to know what you don't know and you should do the research on where you're going to work and see yeah. all the things. It's pretty easy. We're going to wrap it up because I know yeah. you got other things to do. Yeah. But look, you guys can follow Henry at The Brand Doctor is where if you're on Instagram, DR, The Brand DR. Also, that's the YouTube as well. I just put them all in the, the chat. So unique designs instead of an S, it's a Z.net. Instagram, The Brand Doctor, DR, and then it's the brand doctor on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. You just, yep. I'll show right up. Yep. But yeah. Diane, thanks again for having me on. It's such a pleasure to connect with you and spend time with you. Like you're such an, you're such an amazing soul and like you're the salt of the earth. Like when I think of Diane Gibbs, I think of a person with so much love and I just want to give you a big hug if I ever meet you in person and just keep doing what you're doing. You're making such an impact and, and you're helping so many people in a way that I don't even know, if, but like, why like not everybody is doing what you're doing and somebody needs to acknowledge knowledge you acknowledge it because there's so many other things you'd be doing right now and you're doing this so you should be you should get a big hug for that thanks i can't wait i am a big hugger i am small <laughs> but i give really strong hugs so strong that my sister tells me i hug her too tight too hard sometimes <laughs> i am very thankful for you henry you are making a difference and i appreciate you're such an encourager for me but you are such a motivator i feel like i could go take on the world and i think that we need people like that but we actually need to realize that we can make a difference everybody can make a difference but you can't make a difference if you're just if you're not willing to do any actions my summer camp was not perfect it wasn't everything wasn't super tight on everything 
Clearly it wasn't tight on a lot of things, but I was me and it was scary to step out and do that, but it didn't, it didn't take away. And so I always think Chris told me one time, he's like, what are you going to do if you don't do this? He always has like a positive, a thing that you're going to do, reward yourself or a thing that you're going to do to or at least he did for me. And I said, oh, I'm going to do it for sure. I'm not going to disappoint. He said, that's not enough. You need to not disappoint. And so I was like, I'm going to get my car detailed maybe if I do it. I still haven't got my car detailed, but maybe I will. But the thing was way better, way more of a motivator. He said, what are you going to do if you don't do it? And I said, I'm going to eat a spoonful of mayonnaise. I hate mayonnaise, people. Bad. Hate mayonnaise. And I knew I wasn't going to eat a spoonful of mayonnaise. I'll do anything to him. I mean, like some people, it might be, I think Dustin, it was burn his new guitar that he'd spent however much money on that his wife would kill him Mm. if he had just burned it. But sometimes you have to have something on the line that is actually will be painful to you if you don't do it. Because when you hold yourself back, you're all the people that you could touch now can't hear. Just if you were doing everything in a vacuum, if you were just recording these videos for your son, so many people wouldn't move forward. There were so, it's important to be out there. It's important, you never know the people that you'll touch. That I had a kid who said to another kid, they were in figure drawing class or something, said, hey, you should try graphic design. And that conversation made that other kid try graphic. That's one thing she didn't even know that that other, that conversation that she had with that other girl made, you just never know. It never could know. be in passing. It could be saying something that, you know what? You, I love your shirt. Mm-hmm. And that might have need somebody needed. Anyway, you guys know, I just think we should love on each other more. I'm excited. We Adrian's now in Ireland and we got Ireland represented. We got Hawaii. We got a whole bunch of people wow. from America. And I'm super thankful for you guys coming in. Henry, thank you so much. You guys make sure you follow him. He will keep you on your toes. Hope you guys <laughs> enjoy. And we'll see. Oh, next week we have Tom Ross and Mike Janda. And we're going to be talking about collaboration and oh, stepping out and asking somebody else to collaborate with you. So we see you next week. Next week. Thank you.